right, welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join us again this week. Here we are with another interview, and joining me tonight is my friend from Reddit, Greg. Greg, how are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Excellent. So uh, Greg and I were just talking a bit before, and I said I would mention we know each other from Reddit. So that's the first time we've had it on here tonight, someone from Reddit, where this is actually our first time meeting. So we're going to have this conversation. And not only are we going to be sharing a bit about Presbyterianism with the people watching, but I'm going to learn a bit about you and what you're about. So this is fantastic. But before we dive into the content, Greg, why don't you just introduce yourself, say a bit about who you are? Yeah, okay. I'm Greg Seeds. Um, I'm a uh, Presbyterian from the Southern United States, uh, just outside of Atlanta. Um, I'm in the Presbyterian Church in America, which you could say is the um, most conservative large Presbyterian denomination or the largest conservative Presbyterian denomination right. um, in the United States. Um, we actually have, I think, some churches in Canada near the border. Um, we have a, a view of being a North American Presbyterian church, but we're mostly found in the um, Southern United States. Um, and we'll probably, when we talk about denominational history, um, get into there's a north south thing in almost all US denominations that has some tragic history, but um, we'll talk about. Um, I'm 32 years old. I'm a software developer, um, not, a, not an elder or a deacon or a pastor or anything like that. I'm the uh, most dangerous thing in the world, a um, opinionated Presbyterian layman. Um, <laughs> <Right>. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm actually, I'm actually not the most opinionated um, Presbyterian either. Um, I've got a couple of kids. Um, I grow peppers. Yep. Uh, and that kind of sums up who I am. <laughs> no, that, that's fantastic, Greg. Thank you. Just two comments on that since I'm hearing this all for the first time. First of all, an opinionated layperson coming from the Baptist world, you're, you're in good company here. Don't that's worry true. about that. We, we love our, our lay people and lay preaching. So we probably get it a bit more fiery in the booth. Don't worry about that. And the other thing is, yep, yeah, Greg and I know each other from again reddit and greg is a solid dude we talk quite a bit on there and especially about peppers recently that has been a joy there's a on the subreddit we frequent there's a free free for all friday where you talk about whatever you want and often uh, peppers and gardening are are the subjects there so that that's fantastic so greg i won't waste your time or anyone else's time let's dive right in right now and you're a presbyterian you mentioned you're in the pca as uh, they're often called. And I'll just lay a bit of context here for my audience, mostly in Canada. We do have a few Presbyterian churches, and as Greg mentioned, some PCA churches. But for the most part, uh, if you're driving around in southern Ontario, you won't see too many Presbyterian churches. And the reason for that is, I think about 66% of them went into the United Church. So while Presbyterians do exist around here, we have a few different denominations. For the most part, they went into the United Churches along with the Methodists and the Congregationalists. So this is a treat. And as I mentioned to Greg, one of the reasons why I had to go to Reddit to find someone, I know very few Presbyterians personally. I know a lot more Dutch Reformed and Anglican people here. But uh, so, Greg, enough of me talking. Let's hear a bit about uh, what you have to say. So first question is, uh, I guess, definitions wise, who or what are Presbyterians and Presbyterianism? Okay, so Presbyterians kind of, uh, you could think of it as a branch of the Reformed, um, the Reformed family of denominations, um, or you could think of it as a branch of English and Scottish or British Isles Protestantism. Hmm. Um, the, the real origin of Presbyterianism is kind of in Scotland, 
um, and really strongly in England around the English Civil War. Um, there's, it's sometimes joked that the, uh, the monarchy, um, like the Anglican Church, the uh, New Model Army was Congregationalist and Parliament, of course, read the Bible and said, well, everything needs to be run by a group of people appointed to have discussions and be a parliament. And so um, the result um, at that stage of the English Reformation was the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, mm -hmm. the two catechisms, and the, uh, oh, what's it called, the form of church government. And the form of church government that they uh, tried to institute um, was Presbyterian. Um, a lot of Dutch Reformed churches are Presbyterian in structure also, but they use different terminology um, because Presbyterian just really means um, ruled by elders. Um, we have a two office understanding um, where every elder is uh, elder and overseer is presbyter and episcopus. Um, so we, we don't have bishops. Um, we have, but we have a stronger association between our churches than um, than most congregational um, bodies do, where right. we have assemblies at various levels. Um, we have a very local level where multiple churches will send elders together into what's called a presbytery. Um, and then at higher levels, depending on denomination, we have synods or at a national level, a general assembly. Um, in England, Presbyterianism didn't wasn't dominant for very long, um, just during the just during the protectorate um, under Cromwell, uh, Cromwell. In um, Scotland, Presbyterianism lasted. Um, the Church of Scotland is Presbyterian. Um, uh, Presbyterians came over to the US, they came over to Canada and to some other um, British colonies. Uh, the, in the US, um, after the American Revolution, um, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith talks a little bit about uh, the role of the civil magistrate imagining a monarch basically. Um, and the, uh, in the US, the view of um, church and state separation was a little different. So um, the Presbyterian church in the United States, and this gets really complicated. There's a, there's a beautiful diagram we can look at at some point if we really want to, but um, Presbyterian church in the United States of America, um, modified a few things in the uh, Westminster Confession. Um, and then there were kind of a series of um, splits between in the denominations, uh, mergers between denominations. Um, even coming back from Scotland, uh, there are multiple streams of Presbyterianism a little bit. Uh, there's kind of the mainstream, there's the associate Presbyterians, there's the Covenanters, the Seceders. Um, uh, we talked, briefly before we started, I guess, about some ARP churches. Um, they're from a, uh, they're from a, a merger of um, some associate Presbyterians and some seceder Presbyterians hmm. um, that went back to a theological disagreement um, in Scotland in the 17th century. Um, so um, let's see where, so our distinctives are kind of, um, we have uh, we have our confession, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Catechisms. Um, we have, uh, historically, um, Presbyterians have a particular form of worship that has evolved with time to be a little bit less of a distinctive. Um, we're 
broadly, though there's a couple of exceptional denominations, but broadly, um, broadly Calvinist um, within the Reformed tradition. Right. Um, yeah, uh, but there's there's a there's a sort of a, a, a spread in um, Presbyterian denominations, um, particularly mm -hmm. in the U.S., but also in, in other places. Scotland has the uh, Church of Scotland, the Free Church of Scotland, the um, Associate Church of Scotland. Um, in the U.S., there's the um, Presbyterian Church USA, uh, the PCA that I'm in, um, EPC, the ECO, the ARP, uh, the RPC US, and I mentioned ECO um, are all somewhat sizable uh, Presbyterian denominations, and I probably missed something. Um, so it's uh, we've, we've yeah. been called a, a practice lot. Um. Yeah. No. So so Greg, that that's fantastic, and that really lays out the history well. So maybe I'll have a few follow ups there, but first I. I have to say, and maybe a lot of people picked up on this, that it seems like Presbyterian history has a lot to do with the politics and presumably the Reformation politics of the British Isles. So you mentioned Cromwell and the Parliament, and that was going on. And as, as you said, it seems like it was actually Parliament, which is, uh, uh, I guess, from our standards today, a secular, uh, mm -hmm. temporal body, which commissioned this Westminster Confession. So it seems like Presbyterians maybe initially, and and as you mentioned, I'm sure as things move from the British Isles in that period to America, things change. But perhaps a Baptist listening to this would be shocked at uh, the connection that we see between church and state in the early days of Presbyterianism. So it, do you think that would be a critical difference in terms of history compared to a Baptist and a Presbyterian? There's a lot more awareness for government and its role in the, the life of the church or am I, I off base? A, okay. I think that's a huge difference. Um, and that's something that I've been thinking about a lot with some of the uh, controversies we've had in some Presbyterian denominations here and also in the very large Baptist Association, the Southern, Southern Baptist Convention. Um, right. There's a very different view historically. Now it's individually, individual people, individual churches, not so much, but the, the understanding of, the understanding of Christianity of the Presbyterian confessions very much, and, and the operations of the dominations to some degree, very much thinks like a national church. Now, not really, of course, but um, I, I, you know, I, I joked that, you know, uh, once that um, talking with a friend that the, the, the PCA, um, the, our assembly goes the way it does every year, because we see this as the basis of, you know, 500 years from now, the one holy and apostolic presbyterian church mm. um there's you're you're right the the presbyterian church um standards were written at the request well they were nominally at the request of the king but really at the request of parliament to say you know okay we have this reformation what is the right way for the churches to be how are they to be governed what are they to believe um and compared to the uh i guess the the significant distrust of that in um, Baptist traditions, that's, that's a huge difference. Um, the, uh, and, and we have, you know, there's, act, there's complications because um, in the history of the church in Scotland, which the, the Church of Scotland is Presbyterian, um, 
there was uh, some persecution um, when the uh, British monarchy tried to enforce the uh, Book of uh, Book of Common Prayer um, against um, Scottish Presbyterian conscience. Um, there were reportedly some martyrdoms, um, and there was uh, some um, exiling of um, Scottish Presbyterians to the United States as um, forced laborers, um, which uh, led to in uh, covenant covenanter branches of um, uh, Presbyterians here, um, a real understanding of, um, well, some of the, well, the, the disgusting sin of slavery that um, the US uh, was largely founded on and um, many other branches of American Christianity turned a blind eye to. Um, one of the, uh, we, we've mentioned Reddit already, um, occasionally uh there's the there's the one guy who has really neat um posts from um covenanter and um seceder uh presbyterian sources about like writing in 1790 about how uh the u.s constitution um is you know not not a good um constitution for a christian nation because it doesn't acknowledge the sovereignty of god and it doesn't condemn slavery uh, and um Unfortunately, of course, that wasn't that wasn't even in well in Presbyterianism that wasn't the largest voice, and it certainly mm. wasn't the largest voice in the country as a whole either. Right. Um, but um, yeah, it is it is interesting. Um, but you know, even there, um, even there, there's a expectation that the fundamental laws of the of the nation would, you know, be. Christian and be Presbyterian even. Mm. Um, there's, uh, there's an argument by some that the uh, US revolution was um, sparked by Presbyterians um, who uh, wanted a uh, Presbyterian government everywhere, although I don't know how true that is. <laughs> right, right. So, so Greg, maybe I'll, I'll mention there for those interested, I, I'll try to find, I remember, I know who you're talking about on mm -hmm. Reddit. I'll try to find some of those resources, maybe one on the Covenanters as a movement, a theological position, and then one specifically on, on slavery and uh, that Presbyterian voice. I, I've read those and it was, I, I think by the standard of the day, very impressive when you see a group, despite everyone else is saying, even some big Christian figures we look up to who were for slavery or indifferent, that you had people saying, hey, no, we're, we don't recognize this stuff. And that's one of the reasons why the sin is being accepted. So I think that's fascinating. So people, if you're interested, I'll, I'll try, I'll do my best to find those. I think I will. So look, look down below and may, maybe just a couple more follow-up questions before moving yeah. to uh, the modern scene, we can call it. Uh, you mentioned the Westminster Confession and the catechisms there. So those are pretty important documents to Presbyterians today. Maybe just briefly uh, outline how you today as a Presbyterian relate to those historic confessions, maybe what's inside contained within those documents, or maybe briefly how you use those today. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so here they oh, are. Oh, very nice. Um, in this, in this uh, relatively small text, it's a skinny volume, but mm. um, a, a good good size readable text is kind of larger. Um, so traditionally Presbyterian um, 
Presbyterian officers, elders, well, elders and deacons, I think, are are required to um, to take vows that they subscribe to the system of doctrine taught in the uh, confessions. Um, and in conservative Presbyterian denominations, and I don't really like the word conservative here because it gets confusing with politics and other things, but right. I, I tried and tried to think of a better word. And um, some people would say uh, not conservative, but confessionalist, but I, I, I don't know. That's In denominations like the PCA, um, the standards have constitutional um, value at the denominational level. So if we also have um, most Presbyterian churches have also a, either a book called either a form of government or a book of order um, mm -hmm. in the PCO, PCA, it's called the book of church order or the BCO. Um, one of the other things Presbyterians love is, um, well, most people do is um, uh, initials. So, you know, this is the, uh, this is the WCF yeah. and the WSC and the WLC for Westminster Confession of Faith, larger and shorter catechisms. Um, and so the PCA has the BCO, which is the Book of Church Order. Um, mm -hmm. But anything that, like any, any doctrine that the denomination wants to um, advance, any argument in the denomination. So I guess I should mention that in, in Presbyterianism, um, we, have, we have church courts. So I mentioned Presbyterians, I mentioned the General Assembly. Um, one of the things these do is, you know, manage committees for missions and that sort of thing. Right. But another thing they do is if, um, if say a pastor is um, accused of, you know, something like abuse or even of doctrinal, um, doctrinal error, um, they might be brought up, uh, you know, on charges at Presbytery and the Presbytery will consider it. They'll investigate it and they'll make decisions and in the like at the PCA, in the PCA, for example, there's um, at the national or the denominational level, there's a standing judicial commission that things can be referred to. Um, and so, you know, there's an expectation that teachings in the denomination will um, adhere to the to the standards, as we call them, to the, to the confession and the catechisms. Um, this is less true in other, in some uh, denominations. Mm -hmm. um, the large, so the Presbyterians in the United States got hit really hard by the um, uh, fundamentalist modernist controversy in the whatever twentieth, early twentieth century. Right. Um, and uh, um, so the degrees to which any particular denomination holds the standards strictly will vary. Um, in the PCA, we have what we call good faith subscription, um, where we don't require um, elders and, you know, including ministers to necessarily hold to everything in the confession, but they're expected to um, articulate. So I guess this is another difference. I, I keep thinking of differences. Um, That's okay. In a, in a PCA church, in a Presbyterian church, um, the ministers, the, the teaching elders, we call them, are not members of the church. Mm -hmm. um, they are, they're called and ordained by the presbytery rather than by the church. And that's, that's where they're really members. 
Hmm. So um, my church is in Metro Atlanta Presbyterian, and I'm a member of um, Christ Fellowship Presbyterian Church in Roswell, Georgia. But my pastor's not really a member there. He's, you know, he really he is, but his membership is actually in Metro Atlanta Presbytery. Um, and so when, so in my case, my church is the plant, but if my church had been an established church, you know, had, you know, been here for 50 years and was calling a new pastor, um, they would call the pastor. Um, I think at that point, maybe we would have a congregational vote, but then the pastor would go to the credentials committee at Presbytery in like a monthly Presbytery meeting and um, be examined by them. And then the Presbytery, which consists of um, teaching and ruling elders. So you might say elders and pastors or right. elders and ministers or whatever um, language you have. Yeah. will you know, examine, they'll, they'll ask questions. They'll, you know, ask questions about what's called exceptions where um, maybe, you know, maybe the, the candidate um, doesn't think the world was created in six literal days. Um, but they have, you know, this theological um, scriptural argument about why. And the Westminster Confession pretty much assumes that the world was created in um, six literal days, but the Presbytery might decide, you know, your, your difference from the confession is, you know, it's real, but it's not, it, it's not so great that you can't say that I believe the system of doctrine taught by the confession. Um, we had a, and so the person can still go forward and be ordained. Um, or on the other hand, you know, they, you know, if he says, you know, I, I don't believe in God, um, the presbytery will be like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we hope so. Well, yeah, it's important to this job. Um, yeah. But uh, where was I going? Um, so different Presbyterian denominations will express this, will, will have this level of subscription differently. Um, and so um, that's kind of what I mean when I re refer to kind of a spectrum of being conservative or not. Um, the largest Presbyterian denomination um, in the United States, the PCUSA, um, is, is a little bit more modernist. Um, they're they're more focused on, I, I guess you could, you could say inclusiveness um, in the, like in the 1920s, um, there was a push to get them to, well, one of the ancestor denominations, the, the current, <laughs> gets too complicated. Uh, there was a push to, um, in one of the large Presbyterian denominations, there was a push to require like, some list of fundamentals, and that's where kind of the term fundamentalist comes from. Right. Um, you know, belief in the virgin birth or um, in Christ's divinity uh, in order to be ordained. And um, the uh, the northern, the, the large northern Presbyterian denomination of the time, which is one of the ancestor denominations of the PCUSA, um, uh, decided that no, we don't need to require that. And um, the fundamentalist side uh, saw that as, I guess you could say apostasy um, mm -hmm. and uh, a number of smaller denominations, including ultimately the PCA uh, that I'm part of uh, were born out of that controversy. Um, but in all of them, even in the, you know, even in the more modernist um, 
and they, they wouldn't like modernists, even in the somewhat less conservative uh, denominations, the, the, the standards, um, the Westminster Confession, um, some have other confessions also. Uh, the Dutch Reformed Confessions are popular. Um, there's a declaration from German Reformed Christians um, who were in resistance to the Nazis um, that has uh, confessional um, uh, subscription in the PCUSA. Um, which is an interesting doc, a, a neat document about um, the relation of the church and state. Um, and all, all, so all of, you know, it's a, it's a secondary standard behind the Bible. Um, we, we don't, we don't think that, you know, the Bible is, it, we don't think that the uh, standards are scripture um, or anything like that. We think that they're a, um, a, a system, a summary of scripture um and uh but on the other side of that also uh we don't think that people who disagree with the standards are necessarily heretics or not christian or anything like that um it's just uh we you know mostly believe that the standards are mostly right um, mm. yeah so greg that's very helpful and i think so i'm a baptist listening to this and i will be upfront and admit that sounds like a lot of history, a lot of structure, a lot of rules. And it makes sense when you think about Presbyterians as it, it's in the name. Uh, it's the government you're named after of this rule of elders. So it makes sense that you have different things that you're really concerned about. And of course, as Baptist, uh, Baptists can get pretty finicky over uh, making sure it's immersion and different things related to that and making sure you got at the right place. So we all have our, our interests, our focus. It seems like Presbyterians, for the most part, really gravitate, at least in your circles, and I, I don't want to, I know what you mean with conservative or fundamentalist, the terms we use, but for simplicity's sake, it, it seems like conservative Presbyterians really pick up on having the structure, the courts, and we were talking about recently, there was the the General Assembly and, or, and things like that going on, where this is pretty serious stuff for Presbyterians, and it has a big impact, as you mentioned, uh, just the idea of your, I believe it was the not rule the teaching elder being a part of the presbytery opposed to the local church for baptists that would sound pretty shocking but i think it's worth appreciating that this is something we we of course and as i say on every interview this is not a debate episode i would have some pushback here if it were but this is a place where presbyterians have their reasons and it works out in the structure so i appreciate you taking the time to share that and all the different nuances. And again, for people interested in this, I'll talk to Greg after. We'll get some resources down below fleshing this out a bit more for those interested. And there's a lot there. So I'll, I'll briefly mention if people are right now, I, I suspect, I, and that, Greg, I'm, I'm trying to do you a favor here. I suspect a lot of people are thinking, man, those Presbyterians are crazy with all that history. But I will say right now, if you're a Baptist listening to this, recognize that you have a very similar history when it comes to these things. Don't go thinking, oh, Presbyterians had all those controversies. Baptists in Canada even, I could be specific. We had a modernist fundamentalist controversy that led to, I'm in the fellowship of evangelical Baptists, and that's opposed to the Canadian Baptists in Ontario. We have the Canadian Baptists of Ontario, Quebec, who had a nasty split, big debates and seminary splitting, and Presbyterians in America, very similar story. So don't go thinking, oh, Presbyterians had it bad. 
that, that these were real debates in the early 20th century that a lot of Protestant denominations in North America went through. So, Greg, thanks for sharing that. Again, if people are interested, there's so much there. No way we could cover all now. I think Greg gave a great overview of some of those issues, especially as it relates to your situation in America. So maybe just one more question on the history, since it came up in my episode again with Alexander, there's, I think there's going to be a lot of parallels here between the Dutch Reformed Presbyterians, the same family. It's, it almost seems like what the Dutch Reformed to the Netherlands, the Presbyterians were to Scotland a little bit. So on that note, and then we'll, we'll move on here, but are there any connections between uh, and, and this would be about today, Presbyterians in America today, and I guess the mother churches in Scotland today. Is that something Presbyterians will think about? Is there any sort of connection or is there a, a hard division between, hey, no, they're, they're doing their thing over there in Scotland with their own politics and denominations, their own thing? Or is there some like uh, mother church, daughter church kind of connection? There's definitely some connections. Um, mm. There are a fair number of you know, higher than demographic noise number of, of um, like actual, like direct from Scotland um, Presbyterian ministers. Mm -hmm. um, like I can think of a couple of different churches in my state um, where the, uh, the, 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 the lead pastor is Scottish, like no. not just, you know, not just a Scottish name or whatever, like we're used to, but no, like full on with an accent. Um, Scottish and um, there's a lot of there's a lot of American Presbyterians who study in um, universities and seminaries in Scotland um, there's I want to say it's the Free Church of Scotland I don't remember one of the so Scotland the like most established churches the Church of Scotland um, by, necess by necessity um, is you know, very, very inclusive and doesn't maintain doctrinal distinctives to the degree that, as again, I say conservative Presbyterians might like, but um, mm. there is, I, I, I'm one of the uh, Scottish churches is what we would call theologically conservative um, and runs seminaries over there. Um, and there's a lot of um, Scotland stuff in general Presbyterian uh, things. So like, um, well, like the uh, denominational college of the PCA is uh, Covenant College, but their sports teams are the Scots. Ah, um, interesting. And uh, <laughs> uh, there's, you mentioned um, Dutch. Uh, it's kind of interesting because down here in the Southern U US, there aren't a lot of Dutch reformed churches. Mm. Um, and so most PCA uh, will actually have, most PCA churches, it seems in my experience, will have one or two um, Dutch Canadian uh, families um, mm. You know them because you walk into the church and you know one one row of seats is like this with and then another row of seats is like this. Uh, like, <laughs> ah, it's the Van something or others. Right, um, right. Yeah, it's 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 uh um so I, I actually um I I know a fair number of um uh Canadian Presbyterians who are Dutch reformed really uh, mm. in their hearts. Um and we have uh so there's just on the topic of interdenominational relations, um, there's various um, reformed and Presbyterian um, uh, national or international associations. Um, the PCA is in what's called NAPARC, the North mm, American right. Presbyterian Reform something conference. Yeah. Coalition? I don't know. 
um, with some other Presbyterian and um, Dutch Reformed churches. And then there's also like the Reform World Reform something um, mm. that a lot of uh, Reformed and Presbyterian churches are part of. Um, but yeah, there's there's a there's still a degree in which um, American Presbyterianism looks to Scotland, um, and at least. I don't I don't know how they look at us, but at least at least we still look at them as kind of kind of the um, the home. Um, right. <laughs> no, I myself am not not at all Scottish. <laughs> right, right, and that and that's totally fine, and I'm I'm sure that that's not an issue. But I think that's helpful to people uh, to people to hear. Where again, a place I'll, I'll plug it down the channel. Church history really matters. It explains so much about church life today, and why you might have this per- person with a thick Scottish. Uh, Scottish accent in a church preaching today and the American South Presbyterian scene there, there are those connections like that. So it's worth understanding and appreciating that. And again, just to draw a bit of comparison where Baptists in Southern Ontario, Ontario at large, we also have people might not be aware we have Scottish roots going to the Ottawa Valley where the Scottish settlers came. And uh, I don't know that history as well as I should, but it's interesting where there, there seems to be a lot of connection between uh, where people come from and Baptists and Presbyterians have similar roots in the Puritan sort of English separatist movement and, and that sort of thing. So that that's fascinating to hear. And I hope people appreciate that where uh, people often on the, uh, the the channel, it seems, as we're talking about certain figures in history, we're wondering, hey, uh, why are we always talking about this denomination or talking about this people group? Well, a lot of the times churches and ethnicities happen to link together into history, and it's worth exploring why that is, especially given the conversations we're having in 2021 with these questions. So that that's fascinating to hear. And maybe I'll, I'll briefly mention here something I picked up on, and you mentioned uh, uh, Napart Nay Park, is that what's called? The yeah, right. So that's something I, I've done a bit of uh, Wikipedia research and Googling around before, but it's interesting that it seems like uh, one of the churches or two of the churches affiliated are are Koreans. It seems like Presbyterians really have done well in terms of evangelism, church planting with uh, Korean Presbyterians being their own thing in America. Now, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you met many Korean Presbyterians? Do they have a presence in the PCA, or do they stick in their own denomination? Do you know anything about that? So there, there are, I think, Korean, um, Korean American Presbyterian denominations, but um, also there are large numbers of Korean churches in the PCA. Mm. Um, one of the, uh, like, if you, one of the interesting things is if you look at de- demographics, the PCA is actually um, relatively diverse for an American denomination. Wow. When it's, it's really, you know. It's because we have a lot of Koreans, um, <laughs> right. and they have they used to have their own presbyteries. Um, mm-hmm. So, they, there are Korean churches um, uh, where the services will I assume be in Korean. Um, the the signs are in Korean, um, and they used to have Korean presbyteries, but I think they reorganized away from that um, to where the Korean churches are in the same presbyteries. Um, mm. and that's probably good, um, especially as um, I think immigration from Korea has to at least where I am has slowed a little bit. Um, one, right. one thing I should add, uh, I live in, I live north of Atlanta, Georgia, and Atlanta, Georgia has a very large Korean population. Oh, okay. um, it's not, you know, you know, not a majority, not the largest minority, but um, to, the, to the point where um, 
in some parts of the state, uh, things like voting instructions and ballots have to be available in English, Spanish, and Korean. Oh, wow. Um, and mm -hmm. there are um, there are places where you can go where um, all of the shop signs are in Korean. Um, so there's, there's a very strong Korean presence right where I live and uh, other places in the US. So I, I can personally think of um, four or five Presbyterian Korean churches, um, Korean Presbyterian churches and four or five, yeah, um, that I might drive past um, in a given week. Um, hmm. And I think one or two of them are PCA members. And then there's also the KPCA, um, which is, a, I think, a different denomination. And then there's also um, Korean Presbyterian churches in other Presbyterian denominations here. Um, but yeah, uh, Scottish Presbyterian uh, missionaries um, had a lot of a lot of success um, to the point where uh, Presbyterian and Presbyterianism and Roman Catholicism are, I think, the two largest um, religious groups in Korea, mm -hmm. um, even larger than the traditional um, Korean religions. I think I'd have to double check, but um, yeah. Uh, lots of Korean Presbyterians. Um, uh, I've, never really, I've never really gone to a Korean church. I, I've never been quite sure like how much of it I would be able to interact with, but my, I suspect most, most Korean people where I live probably speak enough English that I, I would, they would, <laughs> um, I would at least be able to say, hey, is it okay if I sit here? Um, right, right. Yeah, that for an evening service or something. Yeah, I I think that would be worthwhile just to get a flavor and maybe I'll mention there. And this is more of an anecdote given my situation. I'll say and as we as you were talking, it jogged my memory. I in my area we have a a pretty robust Chinese population, and I've I've seen Chinese Baptist churches, Chinese Methodist or Wesleyan churches, and I say of course people around here know there's a lot of Chinese Christian and Missionary Alliance churches, but I've never seen a Chinese. Presbyterian church, but even though I don't think we have a large Korean population, I have seen a Korean Presbyterian church in my area where I, I, I would imagine maybe there were Presbyterian already in Korea and they came over. So that that's interesting. And again, maybe another conversation in the future, the uh, Presbyterians have a really robust history when it comes to mission. And I think that's where Presbyterians, along with other English Protestants, really shine together with uh, shared roots in the evangelical revival the the back in the 18th century but uh, another part of my studies uh, there's a lot of Presbyterian activity in the Swiss revival in the early 19th century that that's a history I would like to see covered more where Presbyterians have this wonderful uh, passion for missions and uh, at least that's why I see in my historical studies so I think the Presbyterian presence is uh, among Koreans is probably a testimony to that so may, maybe moving on to there uh, you mentioned a lot about the different denominations, and I think people have an idea that there there are different denominations in Scotland and in America and presumably around the world where you have, again, the more conservative, we could say, and uh, mainline or progressive on the other side. So may, maybe just moving on from there, assuming your traditional stream or however you want to define it, uh, maybe just give us two or three highlights perhaps of what would you say are core theological convictions that separate you from 
Baptist, since that's largely my audience. And maybe, well, you already talked about the polity in church and state. Maybe hit on, are there other ones that are worth mentioning? And uh, I, I think everyone knows uh, one of the obvious ones there, but I'll let you uh, bring it up as you please. So go ahead with that. Well, since y'all have it in the name. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the big one that comes up when um, I, I talk with my Baptist friends and family is, of course, uh, how we administer baptism. Right. Um, or, you know, if I wanted to be polemical, how y'all administer baptism. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes. Um, so Presbyterians um, hold with, and we're in agreement with the Dutch Reformed on this, and mm. in a disagreement that's difficult probably for Baptists to understand with Lutherans and uh, Rome um, on this, but we do um, baptize the children of um, the, including infants of um, believing parents. Um, the, uh, the reason for that comes from kind of a, a different from Baptists um, understanding of what baptism is and what it signifies and how it relates to um well to god's promises to the uh to the covenants um in uh scripture um but the way i would kind of summarize it and this is not this is not the best persuasive way but it's the the way we think about it uh is that baptism is a um sacrament of initiation into god's people mm -hmm. um and online conversations, you know, um, you know, all, all the Baptists also seem to nod. Um, and, I would be nodding, yes. <laughs> by God's people, you yeah. mean um, the, you know, the, uh, the professing believers and their children. Yeah. Um, the, we interpret the to you and your children promises of scripture differently. Um, mm. uh, you and I. Um, yes. And then something that probably is less clear um, to Baptists because that difference is obvious, but we also understand baptism somewhat differently than the Lutherans. Mm. And we in the Lutherans then understand somewhat differently from um, the Roman church or the, uh, the, you know, the uh, Eastern, the, the Orthodox or right. Oriental Orthodox or Coptic churches. Um, where we see a well and actually it's it's true it's less it's less obvious because obviously there's a, a big difference between either baptizing a baby or not yeah um but we also have the same difference in understanding of the lord's supper from most baptists um where if you were to like look at you know contemporary baptist texts to the westminster confession uh the lbcf2 um you know the the word sacrament is not used um there's a different understanding of what is partaken in the lord's supper um presbyterians don't believe in transubstantiation yeah. um we don't believe with the lutherans that christ is present physically in the sacrament so lutherans believe i guess that the sacrament does not become christ but christ is physically present uh, we believe that in the Lord's Supper, um, believers spiritually feed on Christ. Mm. Um, and so, um, 
in a, in a, I, in a way that sometimes you can contrast to what Presbyterians will call the memorialism of Baptists. Right. Um, I've, I've talked with a number of Baptists who don't like the term memorialism, and I've never heard someone say, oh, I'm a memorialist. Um, I don't right. know if you would, so I'm like trying to avoid that um, inference. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, our, our understandings of, of the sacraments are different. Um, also, we don't um, see a need for immersion in baptism. Mm -hmm. um, the Westminster Confession says that immersion is not necessary and pouring or sprinkling is fine. Right. Um, typically, we sprinkle. Um, there was a sort of humorous um, article about this disagreement uh, by a prominent U.S. Southern Baptist uh, that suggested that instead of saying Baptists and others, we should say sprinklers and um, plungers, I think. Oh. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be called a plunger. Or I a don't want to be called a plunger. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, uh, another thing that, um, let's see, what's another, well, the, the, that's, you know, that's the big one. Um, and, uh, so my family's all Presbyterian, but my wife's family is Baptist. Yeah. Um, and so that was a, uh, that was a conversation we had to have, um, a number of times, um, at, you know, different, different levels of, um, different levels of heat um when my uh, kids were born you know like was, right this is this is what we're going to do here's why um conveniently my wife and i had come to this come to agreement in this before we were uh, married and had children mm. um but particularly here in you know in the south as we say um where um the uh, the, the baptists are in the majority um and um it's you know the it, you you know you go and find out what church your neighbor goes to and they're, 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 every one of them goes you know goes to a baptist church right. um it's a it's a conversation that um you know uh serious christians often have in premarital counseling is like well you know um I, i'm a presbyterian and you're a baptist you know where does this go if we have kids yeah. um and that sort of thing uh um, so that is, that is probably the biggest difference in practice, um, mm. that you'll see. Um, I, I don't know what Baptists are like in Canada. Um, some Baptists here in the U.S. South, uh, don't consume alcohol and other things. Um, and while there are certainly Presbyterians who have, um, you know, in their own consciences um concerns about that um mm -hmm. it's not a presbyterian distinctive um in the way that it is historically a methodist or um some strands of um baptist distinctive um there's um perhaps it's been seized on too much by the young reform rest, restless and reformed people but right there's a, um there's a stereotype of um Presbyterians drinking scotch whiskey and smoking cigars and of course whatever. Yeah. Um, right I, I don't but I do have a beard yeah, um, yeah. and it's very nice <laughs> very Presbyterian yeah uh, yeah so so maybe Greg if I if I could just interject there with with some thoughts in response to that so 
First thing I will say again for people listening to this, Greg is a guest on the show and I appreciate that he's honestly sharing his position. So again, if people are looking for a debate, you're not going to find it here. Happy to learn. And again, on a few of these points, I'll talk to Greg, see if we have more resources, uh, Presbyterian Covenant Theology. Again, uh, that that's something, a big distinction when it comes to uh, baptism, which as Greg mentioned, when you're in a world surrounding by Baptist women and you're a Presbyterian guy looking for a wife, those are conversations you're going to be having. And uh, and in response to you saying that uh, all uh, your neighbors would be Baptist, I got to say, praise God. But as you also mentioned, Baptists in Canada often prove to be very different from Baptists and especially it sounds like the Southern states with the, I guess, the traditional SBC stronghold. I've been learning more and more about that online. I guess it's the different history and maybe just the politics today plays out in uh, different ways. But I, I would like to point out a couple of things. First of all, uh, I hope people picked up on, as Greg was thinking of uh, differences between Presbyterian and Baptist, there were some places where I felt like, oh, he, he has to really think about it. On the core essentials, I'd say, where we, we share a Protestant orthodoxy when it comes to the solas, the atonement, and uh, of course, uh, the Trinity, who Christ is. So I, I think it's great to recognize that unity just so that's clear and upfront. And I believe, as Greg mentioned, one of those big differences, I, I suppose the central one would be on the sacraments, Baptists, we typically call them the ordinances. And I'll, I'll leave down below, uh, there's a helpful chart comparing the the London Baptist Confession and the, the Westminster, where people can take a look and see what exactly those differences are. Uh, Baptists, some Baptists do hold to a form of covenant theology, but again, very different. And I won't uh, stress this term, Reformed Baptist, that's a controversial term, especially online, but there are streams of, I'd say, a bit more historically aware Baptists who would share a lot more with Presbyterians when it comes to the Lord's Supper, at least, and those type of things. But again, your everyday Baptist might not be aware of that and they would fall more into memorialism or people will associate it with uh, Zwinglianism. I think that's a little, a little suspect, those connections there, but that that's great to highlight. And maybe just a, a point on that there. I think you were mentioning just uh, now I'm trying to remember, but Oh, with the Lutherans, I will say, I'll mention, we'll, we'll be having a Lutheran on soon enough, but I think that's critical to mention where uh, when people are baptizing infants, for Baptists, it's all wrong, of course. I, I believe it's all wrong. I'll be upfront about that. But I think it's only fair and right that we recognize people do it with different reasons. The Presbyterian covenant theology initiation sacrament is different from a baptismal regeneration or a, an actual washing of, however people phrase it. And I don't know exactly where the lines are drawn, but a Roman Catholic, a Lutheran, and a, a Presbyterian are going to have a different understanding while they might all sprinkle a baby or, or uh, I don't so I know the Eastern Orthodox, they like dunking and that, that freaks me out, but sprinkle or pour or whatever's done. But yeah, so, so I think that's worth mentioning and sort of, I think we've been picking up a theme of this series, the, the Pentecostal I had on Josiah, great guy. He liked to talk about uh, when it came to distinctives, the Holy spirit, the gifts of the spirit, those kinds of things. Our Dutch reform friend went into the nuances of covenant theology. Greg, I think most of your time you've thought about the the governance and the polity playing out. And I think with the Lutheran, they'll jump right into what's going on with the Lord's Supper, what's going on with baptism. And none of these things are to say that each tradition doesn't think they're important. It's just certain traditions have a certain trajectory, what they put 
I suppose, at the center of their theology and then branch out from there. And I think Presbyterians have a great sense. And of course, I have a strong disagreement with it, but they have a great understanding that ecclesiology is very important. Who is the church? How does the church function? And I think Baptists are probably closest to Presbyterians when it comes to, we think a lot about who the church is and what the church does, but maybe Presbyterians, while they go more in the sense of governance and and structure and covenant theology and having that spelled out. I think Baptists might go more in the direction of uh, perhaps the, the preaching side or the uh, may, maybe the membership side on that, those kind of things. And that's hard to spell out and dis, uh, distinguish, but a, a common saying, uh, especially in our online uh, reformed kind of broad circles is that if you have a favorite preacher, it's probably a Baptist. If you have a favorite theologian, it's probably a Presbyterian. And that, that seems to just be the way the traditions play out. And that's not to say, I think they're, of course, I think there are wonderful Presbyterian preachers. And I also think, of course, there are wonderful Baptist theologians, but different traditions, different uh, directions they go. So Greg, that's very helpful. And I, I think now as we close, maybe just uh, diving a bit into your church life today, and I'll have two questions. And the first one is, uh, so what is it like on a Sunday morning? And then we'll get into, well, what is going on at a Presbyterian church outside of a, a Sunday morning? And I think you mentioned, oops, I think you mentioned even uh, visiting a church in the evening. So like our, our Dutch Reformed friends, an evening service is part of the tradition there, it seems like. So why don't you just walk through, I visit uh, a PCA church, let's say on a Sunday morning. Uh, what do I find there? Maybe if Will I find the same thing at every PCA church or is there diversity? Anything you want to say on the, the Lord's Day service? Well, there's kind of a big diversity um, in large Presbyterian denominations. I would okay. say that there's, there's kind of a... So when you join a Presbyterian... Well, when you join a um, PCA church or an OPC church, um, two of the um, kind of broader but conservative um, uh, Presbyterian denominations, um, you take a couple of um, membership vows. Um, one of them is a very, a very simple statement about um, acknowledging yourself to be a sinner, justly deserving God's pleasure and displeasure and without hope except in his mercy. Um, mm -hmm. But one of them is um, uh, promising to strive for the purity and peace of the church. Um, and there's sort of this uncomfortable balance in, I guess, most Protestant circles between this purity and peace concept. Mm -hmm. um, to, so in, in Presbyterianism, there's kind of a traditional, there's kind of a traditional form of the service um, that has fallen out of favor over the last uh, century and a half almost, um, oh, okay. where particularly in America, um, all of the um all of the protestant churches kind of began to look the same um you know we all built steeples with um bells in them we all put up organs and we all started dressing the same way and singing the same songs um historically like long ago like if you if you went to a presbyterian church uh either side of the atlantic in say 1800 um when when you went there um uh, on the Lord's day, um, you would sing Psalms without instrumental accompaniment. Right. Um, and um, if, if you were going to be um, receiving the Lord's supper, um, you would have probably been visited by um, the elders uh, during the week to talk about, um, you know, whether you've been 
you know, where you are in your walk with God and uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's changed with time, but there are still Presbyterian churches um, that don't use instruments. There are still Presbyterian churches that practice what's called exclusive psalmody, right. where the only songs they sing are, um, you know, those songs given to us in the canonical uh, psalms of, of scripture. Um, there are also um, Presbyterian churches uh, in most denominations that you, you might say look a little bit like an Anglican church, mm. um, where they have, um, you know, the the responsive liturgy that the Anglicans have um, with readings of, you know, ancient prayers that aren't scriptural, that aren't, you know, don't, they're not literally from scripture. I, right. I don't want to comment on whether they're, you know, but um, and that sort of thing. Um, right. But uh, kind of a middle of the road Presbyterian church these days will will be still uncomfortable with their decision about whether they have guitars or not. Mm. Um, but, um, we, there are some, there's some nice contemporary Presbyterian-ish, young, restless and reformed-ish, um, contemporary songs, um, that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, you, you go to church, um, if it's an older church, it has pews probably still, um, if it's a newer church like mine, um, we're meeting in a, a building that's not ours um and that isn't well we're we're going back to a, a middle school actually so we're going to be in a middle school cafeteria hmm. or is it in an elementary i don't even remember but um you know uh but wherever it is um we have kind of a we have less of a musical focus typically than kind of the stereotype american evangelical church right. um but it might be either a couple of hymns and then uh, a call to worship um, and that where um, someone will read a piece of scripture that is selected to um, you know, focus. Um, there, there are a lot of nice um, uh, places in scripture where um, you know, people are called to you know, let us uh, come together to, to worship God, um, that thing. Psalm 95, I think, is popular in mm. uh, a lot of traditions. Um, and then maybe another song, and then maybe uh, a scriptural reading, and then maybe another song, and then maybe a responsive reading from a catechism. Um, oh, that's another another use um, of the catechisms um, is we'll do um, we'll do responsive reading uh, where. Um, I don't know. Do y'all do responsive reading? Uh, I found people who are familiar with it kind of know the pattern where uh, the leader will read, um, you know, some, will read a line in a catechism. It might be a question. And then everybody in unison reads, um, you know, part of the response. Um, Or responsive reading could be done with a psalm. A lot of the psalms have a really good, um, you know, uh, repeated, repeating motif, especially where a lot of things are repeated twice or said twice. Yeah. That, um, that would be familiar to a lot of Baptists here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, typically we have um, what's sometimes called the pastoral or a long prayer um, where uh, the, 
uh, the pastor or the teaching elder or whatever, whatever term you want to use, um, will uh, pray a significantly long prayer. Um, mm -hmm. And then typically a reading. Um, some Presbyterian denominations, including the, the largest one in the US, the PCUSA, use a lectionary. Um, others don't. Um, the PCA doesn't use a lectionary. Um, so the day's reading will be kind of, uh, well, you know, maybe we're going through uh, the minor prophets. And so today's reading is Micah chapter one. Um, right. And then uh, a sermon. Um, uh, our, our preaching is not as good as Baptist preaching. <laughs> um, you're right about that. Oh, thank um, you. And then. How, yeah. Oh, sorry. How long would about uh, how long would a normal sermon go in your experience? Well, that's a good that's a good one, too. Um, so there's always, of course, the joke about, you know, whether football or NASCAR is on. But um, yeah. uh, the. I want to say that we probably hang out on it'll vary by church but and by you know by pastor but maybe 25 minutes maybe, okay maybe shorter sometimes longer um mm -hmm. for a while when i was a kid we attended um a very conservative um uh presbyterian church of a different denomination of um, one of the things that happens with presbyterians is we have micro denominations which is probably really strange thought for a Baptist because Baptist churches will just be independent if they don't agree with anybody. But yeah. <laughs> Presbyterian churches, although there are independent Presbyterian churches, and I don't want to diss them because there are a couple, but usually what they'll do is if they find they don't agree with anybody about something, they'll declare themselves, you know, the founding church of the Reformed Presbyterian Church, North Georgia, you know, left side of this particular road yeah. and maybe there won't ever be any other churches in that denomination but because mm. the presbyterian understanding doesn't really admit church independency as much you know they they're you know they're just hoping and praying that god will bring the rest of the world around um and so wow. but, um, we, we oh so this particular church was um they left the PCA because they wanted to require, they wanted to require all of their elders to be post mill. Oh, um, okay. And the the Westminster standards are not explicitly most most Presbyterians are amill. Um, yeah. There are some post mill. There are some pre mill. Um, but they wanted to require post mill, and the PCA said, actually, that's fine. Um, in the way that the PCA sometimes does, they decided not to make a decision. Um, and so they, they were fine to do that. But what the uh, church actually wanted was um, they wanted to be told outright, you know, they wanted to be completely vindicated and told, no, it's actually completely acceptable to do. So they left anyway. Oh. But, um, mm. but there, uh, they had more of the traditional, the old style traditional Presbyterian service with psalmody. Mm. Um, but also, uh, yeah, the, they would preach for 45 minutes to an hour um, on a Sunday. Wow. Um, and traditionally, Presbyterians will have an evening service also. Mm. Um, this is less common now. Um, my church doesn't have an evening service. Uh, part of that could be because we also don't have a building, but um, right. it's, it's a little tougher to do. But um, some of my local Presbyterian, other Presbyterian churches definitely do have an evening service. Um, and like the Dutch, like the Dutch, um, it'll be more of a catechismal teaching service um so in 
in the morning, um, the teaching might be from a series through the Book of Romans or something like that. Um, Presbyterian churches, conservative Presbyterian churches, tend towards expository preaching, mm. um, but there's not. It's not necessarily. It, it's not like a confessional requirement. It's just part of the Presbyterian Reformed tradition. Um, so you can, you know, you you might get a sermon instead on. Um, some particular topic and right. that's you know considered perfectly fine but a lot of a lot of presbyterians prefer expository uh preaching but in the um you know in, the, in an evening service perhaps the uh the lesson will be on a, a couple of the the lessons from the shorter catechism um the unlike the the dutch who their their heidelberg catechism is neatly divided into sundays um ours isn't but uh it's also not as um not as poetic, um, but uh, it's it's got the uh, that Presbyterian um, written by lawyers feel to it a little bit. But um, it's got the good stuff. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, let's see what else stands out. Um, so the traditional Presbyterian way is to have children in the service. Mm. Um, this is something that people get very polemical about. Um, if you listen to some Presbyterian podcasters, um, it, it could be seen as it, it's become less common now. Um, and some people will say that it's, you know, it, it's it's good um, to have nurseries and Sunday schools and all that. Hmm. And other people will say that you know we're we're abandoning our roots. Um, growing up, um, so I'm kind of unusual. I grew up for a number of years when I was a kid. We were Presbyterian, um, so. Uh, that's the other thing. Uh, in the here where I live, most Presbyterians are converted Baptists, right. um, but, but uh, so I'm, I'm kind of the unusual uh, that I'm not. But um, it is it is an interesting uh, an interesting thing having to having uh, sat as a little kid um, through through full church services uh, through the sermon and everything. Mm. Um, my church has a has a nursery and. Uh, little kid program during the sermon. Um, so in Presbyterian churches, though, usually uh, children will be there through the first half of the service. And then usually, um, maybe like right before that long pastoral prayer, um, maybe there'll be a little children's church segment where the kids will go up and the pastor will talk to them for a little bit, and then they'll go either back to their seats or go back or go out to something else. Right. Um, but they're um, they're often not uh, necessarily sitting there through the sermon um, mm -hmm. in, in current uh, these days. Um, right. Yeah, and and that that's helpful, I think, just to to lay out all that. Where I think uh, a lot of similarities would be seen for a Baptist listening. I know for at my church we had a we had before COVID nineteen uh, a thing called junior church where the kids would be there for the singing at the front end, but then for the sermon they they go down. And I taught that for a little bit. But I think what you you highlighted as you were going through that there are certain movements within Presbyterianism where certain doctrine or or ways of doing things get played up. And it's interesting. I see it online quite a bit where there's often a union between a certain group of Baptists and a certain kind of Presbyterian on these things. So like you mentioned, post mill. Uh, and for those uh, who might not know, that's a, an eschatological position on uh, the, the millennium. So 
we'll we'll get into that in the future of the show. Not important now, but I think we see a lot of union between certain kinds of Baptists and Presbyterians on we have to be post mill or we have to be about theonomy as a big one right now. That position on on government and the the judicial law in the Old Testament or another one, as you mentioned, I don't know if this is what you were referencing, but for a while there, the the family integrated movement was was super big and. It was like, oh, you have to have your kid, like to have a nursery or something would be an act of cowardice or theological heresy almost to the point. And I know in Baptist circles and maybe in Presbyterian, I'm not sure where uh, homeschooling was a big, it wasn't like, hey, we just homeschool that. That's fine and great. But, oh, you don't homeschool. That's that suddenly you're you're less Christian. So you get movements like that. And as he said, Baptist, it just be as easy as we're independent while well, for Presbyterians is my, well, now we're, we're our, we're own Presbytery here. So that that's all aside. That's helpful to hear that these things go on so that people could be better aware, maybe see that in themselves or someone around them just so they know and can address it. But I, I like what you mentioned with the service where it sounds very familiar to perhaps more traditional Baptist service, mm-hmm. except I think the major difference between what you highlighted there is Baptists might have uh, a bit more of the preaching time. I don't think the pastoral prayer is pretty common. I know in Mark Devers, Nine Marks kind of Baptist mm-hmm. circles where they're all about thinking about that kind of stuff, they'll do that. And it is a big part. So certain Baptists, certain Presbyterians, it sounds like on the more traditional, there's an equivalent on the more uh, contemporary, we could call it, there's an equivalent. And I know in other denominations, they have that spectrum as well. But I think that's helpful to hear from your perspective, what goes on. And I found it interesting uh, that I, I think you said there's a couple of hymns then to call to worship after that. So uh, I'm not sure if there's if I got that right or if there's a, a reason for that. Is, is that what you said that the hymns you know, I'm come about that? So I yeah. think I think a traditional a, a, a properly traditional Presbyterian church would would start with a call to worship. Okay. Um, hmm. I, I want to think about so you know as a as a uh, Survivor of the online liturgy wars. No, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> oh, they were they to, were bad. <laughs> I don't want to say the wrong thing, but um, yeah. I think you might have a you might have an opening music that isn't really congregation. So um, Presbyterian distinctive ish. Yeah. Um, conservative Reformed Baptists talk about this too as the regulatory principle of worship. Right. Um, in, in contrast to, I guess you would say, the Lutherans and the Anglicans. Um, Presbyterians believe that um, that God's word commands that he not be worshipped in ways that he has not commanded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is where exclusive psalmody comes from. Right. But um, even for those of us who are not exclusive psalmists, um, psalmodists, I guess, um, there's, there's a an understanding that scripture describes say congregational singing but there's no opening for performative singing and this is unfortunately i'm, I'm stepping into things where people get into arguments yeah. um but there's a I, I was um i was friends with a uh uh i don't know what he should be called a worship leader a music minister um presbyterian guy um for a while and we, we had a lot of conversations about this because I, I kind of didn't have formed opinions at the time. Um, and uh, he, he felt that, you know, even, even though he believed and, and played, instru- he believed instruments were fine and played instruments, that 
the, the key part of singing in church is the congregation singing. And mm -hmm. so um, he, he was concerned, he was very concerned about making sure that the amps didn't drive the instruments too loud and that the, you know, the, the mic singers were not over singing the congregation entirely and that sort of thing. Right. Um, so and now that I think about it, um, there might be some kind of opening music, but probably a call to worship is probably right there at the beginning. Right. Um, and then, of course, I've completely left off the, you know, the other bookend, the benediction. Oh, okay. Which mm. I, I assume is similar in um, Baptist churches. I've never, I, I've only been to one or two um, proper Baptist um, services uh, in my life. I've been a, my, my family were members at a church that was kind because of, in, in the U.S. at least, non-denominational is kind of Baptist by default. Right. Um, so um, they, they have a large baptistry. Um, that's, mm. I suppose that's a, a difference you might see walking into a traditionally constructed Presbyterian church is that there's not a baptistry. Yeah, um, not dunking anyone there. So you, you don't need it um, yeah. to pour. Uh, but there might be a nice, um, there might be a nice silver or something pitcher um, for pouring. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, I guess our, um, uh, so like the Scottish Presbyterians used to like do the Lord's Supper, like seated at tables, um, mm. full on supper style. Um, but in um, every Presbyterian church I've been in now, um, it's a, uh, small cups and yeah. small pieces of bread um very familiar yeah we do leavened bread uh oh, okay we we may do grape juice or we may do wine um mm. it uh wine got really popular with the because um the, the more conservative um presbyterian churches might insist on wine um the 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 less hardline Presbyterian churches may have gluten-free bread. Um, it, it all depends on in that range. Um, right. But it's, 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 it's a surprise though. If you, uh, if you go into a, so most Presbyterian churches practice what's called fenced, but is kind of open um, communion. Okay. Um, where the, when the, um, when the pastor reads the words of ordination, he will give a warning to the congregation um, that this is Christ's table and is um, for those who are in Christ um, and to not eat, eat and drink judgment to yourself by taking it unworthily. unworthily. But unlike some conservative Lutherans, for instance, or maybe some historical Presbyterian churches, most Presbyterian churches won't like carefully investigate and expect you to have a letter from your church saying that you're, you're, you're really a Christian, um, they'll, they'll leave that to you. But um, when you uh, go and take your, uh, you go and take your little cup of, um, of you know, of, um, of liquid, uh, if you're visiting Presbyterian churches, I recommend giving a very slight sniff because, um, getting some uh getting some um, dry communion wine uh when you're expecting um welch's grape juice uh is a <laughs> oh, some poor teenage me uh <laughs> memories here 
<laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine you're <laughs> expecting that sweet, sweet nectar from a Welch's bottle and you get get something a little a little stronger. But yeah. <laughs> that that that's interesting to hear because you see in similar, I guess, may, maybe in a different vein, but some Baptists are getting more into wine these days or offering both. I, I hear is happening a bit more in certain spheres. So it seems like there's similar things. And maybe that's worth emphasizing again, where Canadian Baptists listening to this, we might have a different experience than uh, what what you're surrounded by in the American South, where I get the impression, and this isn't something I've studied too deeply, but it seems like the American Baptists were a lot more influenced by the Second Great Awakening and some of those tendencies, while Canadian Baptists held on a bit strong, more strongly to our English and Scottish roots. So I don't know if they do benedictions or responsive readings in American Baptist churches, but uh, in Canada, that is a bit more common where it seems like we do have a bit more structure. And I've heard that the Baptists in Quebec uh, take a very hard line on closed communion, so fencing. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a product of their just dire situation out there in Quebec, a very atheistic part of Canada, but uh, they've held on to some, uh, I guess, some old school Baptist ways or they've embraced them. So pr pretty interesting there on the uh, distinctions that I think Presbyterians and Baptists, we, we see those same kind of conversations going on, but it would seem like from my perspective that take the same conversations, Presbyterians start off a bit more on the traditional side in those conversation so wine is already established there and even though baptist technically my statement of faith for my church says that bread and wine are the elements of the lord's supper I, I don't think my church has ever used wine and i don't expect that to change anytime soon so it, it's things like that i think uh would be the biggest kind of shock the small differences so you mentioned you used leaven bread is that right you said leaven typically yeah, yeah. yeah so we would use unleavened i don't know if people would know, is there a theological reason? But I think that would be pretty shocking. If you're imagining a just a wafer and a little cup of grape juice, you're going to be surprised if you get some. Yeah, yeah, you'll be surprised. <laughs> so, so maybe I'm, I'm looking at the time here, but I wanted to to get, get maybe, maybe this could be rapid fire just very quickly outside of the, the Lord's Day service and those distinctions there. Uh, just a few questions. Would you have a weekly in the middle of the week, a prayer meeting or a, a service like that. And I know uh, a church plant might be different from an established church, but is that something you'll see in Presbyterian circles? Uh, there's, you know, uh, so in my area, the Baptist churches will tend to have full on church service Wednesday evening. Oh. Um, Presbyterian churches tend not to do that. But mm. um, so my church will have a uh, prayer meeting on Thursdays every other week or something like that where okay. some people will go. Um, we also have, uh, you know, whatever your particular church calls them, small groups of various yeah. kinds and descriptions. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, a, a, more, a more established church is more likely to have some kind of midweek um, mid meeting. Um, some some of the very most traditional churches will probably have some kind of prayer meeting. Um, some of the less traditional churches might have prayer meeting alongside youth group or something like that. Maybe. Okay. So there is youth group is common in Presbyterian. Pretty common. Okay. Um, pretty common. Um, mm -hmm. The, again, it, like, like I mentioned, kind of like even nursery, there might be some people who find it controversial, but. Um, right. It's, it's pretty common. So, so then I, I think the last big one that I would ask, uh, and I don't know, again, if this is a, a controversial one, but Sunday school, 
uh, for kids or for adults but separate from the the service is that a part of presbyterianism with that sort of I, I guess more doctrinal or more focused teaching is that something you'll see yeah definitely um okay. so yeah the way it'll look different between so you know the controversy would be um whether children's Sunday school uh, causes them to miss part of service. Um, oh, right. But the, uh, so, and, you know, we have, um, like, I've been to, I've been to churches where um, Sunday school was maybe before service um, or maybe after, um, or some, you know, where the congregation is much larger than the building. Um, there'd be two services with, uh, Sunday school maybe in between or maybe during the early service or something like that right um, all of those are pretty common structures um, and those might be topical um, they might be you know based around the catechism um, hmm. they might be you know this is a marriage class this is a men's class uh, that sort of thing right um, it, it, wide variety there um, PCA in partnership with the OPC publishes some Sunday school curriculums curricula mm. but they're not you know not mandatory to use um some presbyterian churches will have um something kind of parallel to confirmation in other denominations where oh, okay. children of a certain age um will be um educated in the catechism and if and if they're examined by the elders and found you know to have a um credible profession of faith and an understanding of um, the sacraments, then they will become communicant members. Mm. Um, others are less formal um, around that. And then at the really rare um, kind of related to that family integrated movement we mentioned, um, there are Presbyterian churches, though not really officially in the big denominations um, that practice pedo communion. Oh, okay. That's somewhat uncommon, although I, I've met, I've met Pedo communion, yeah, pedo communionists. Yeah, mm. not to be confused with pedo communists, but <laughs> pedo communionists—they're—they're they're out there. And again, we we see all sorts online, and a lot of them are smart people, and they have great arguments. But we can disagree and talk about that kind of stuff. So, Greg, this has been very helpful, and I think people, after listening to this, have a wonderful idea of who Presbyterians are and what they're about. And uh, I'll just say, I'm glad that you brought up confirmation where you mentioned most Presbyterians in your part of the world would be converted Baptists. Uh, in my part of Ontario here, so many of our church members are coming out of Roman Catholicism, where we have a, a lot of Filipinos and Italians here, where confirmation, they know what that is and what it's about. And again, like baptism, as you mentioned, uh, infant baptism, while you might have the same thing, same appearances, different theological reasons. I don't think you would hold confirmation uh, in a sacramental kind of no, sense, but it's, right. it's a part right. of church life. So ju just making that clear. So uh, the, word, yeah. the word confirmation might not be used, but um, like the, the class might be referred to as a communicants class. Right. Um, so in the, because of, you know, because of how we understand baptism, um, we consider like, like my, my, my little four-year-old is a member of the right. church. Um, and in our view, the, the biggest difference between people is, as far as membership goes, is, is baptized people and unbaptized people. Mm. Um, that, you know, the um, similar to uh, circumcision in the Old Testament. Right. Um, but of course, 
Um, but I guess I can't say, of course, it was a, you mentioned a variety of views on lots of things, but the, the way we understand um, communion, you know, the, the Baptists see there's something that the person baptized must understand for baptism to be proper. Um, and we see communion kind of in that way where mm. my, my four-year-old cannot take communion because, um, you know, to her, it would just be bread and mm. juice. Right. Um, but yeah, so we might not, I don't, so a lot of us wouldn't say confirmation exactly, but we have something very similar, but we don't view it as, yeah, we don't view it as sacramental. Um, right. It's just the... It's it's a matter of order. The um, the elders, the, the Presbyterian way, the elders want to understand that this person is, um, you know, is 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 in Christ, um, and then um, they're accepted at the table. Um, and for you know, for people who are, if you're visiting, if you're visiting a typical Presbyterian church. You know, you can you can take communion. Um, we'll we'll trust you on that. But for you know, for members, um, if you're becoming a member, um, you'll probably meet with a couple of elders and talk about you know talk about your faith, talk about your understanding of scripture. Um, unlike a lot of the most conservative Reformed Baptists, Presbyterian lay people in quotes, I guess, because we don't use that word so much, but people who are not elders and deacons. Are not expected to believe everything in the standards. Right. Um, so, I have good friends at my church who um, don't believe in infant baptism. Um, so they're they're Baptists, um, but you know they could never be. You know he could never be a pastor in the Presbyterian Church um, with that view. But well, if you want to. But um, as far as being a member, you know he, he's our brother in Christ and. Um, you know, we understand him to be, you know, our brother, just as we understand Baptists outside of the Presbyterian Church to be to be brothers. Oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Good, Go, glad glad we have that confirmed here, and that this is now this is on the internet, so that's recorded forever, just yeah, in case anyone says anything. Now. Yeah, yeah. So, Greg, this is this has been fantastic, and I, before we close, I want to do something that I do with all the people who come on my channel, I didn't mention this to you, maybe you know already, but uh, I like to give you an opportunity to leave my audience with one reflection or encouragement or something along those lines. It could be anything I, I let people know from a book recommendation to a, a suggestion when it comes to a theological reflection, but anything you want to say to my audience as we close out here. Uh, yeah, um, you know, let me just you know, recommend something that I've been doing, read the Psalms, sing mm. the Psalms. Um, the one Presbyterian thing that I forgot to mention is the 1650 Scotch metric, Scottish metrical Psalter, um, okay. which is the Psalms rhyming in English. Uh, they yeah. don't rhyme so well anymore because it's 1650s English, but you know, there's wonderful um, treatments of the Psalms for singing, for reading, and that's something that I've been trying to do every day this year, and it's just it's just been wonderful. Um, so mm. if, if, you know, um, just something I can really recommend. Um, mm. That's, that's what I recommend the Psalter. 
Yeah, that and Greg, I didn't know you were going to say that, but I'll I'll mention that something I've been doing recently as well, where I got the <laughs> the same the black hard book with the the, the Scott Salter, and it's just I I would say I would affirm that one hundred percent. People, you didn't awesome. hear it from me; you heard it from Greg, <laughs> someone who isn't me. So if you're watching this and you wouldn't listen to the uh, as they call me the young minister Christian, if you if you listen to anyone, listen to to Greg here with his awesome beard. It's worth to sing the Psalms. That is a wonderful recommendation so and i'll leave a link to that salter actually in the description people check that out so greg thank you for that encouragement and reflection and thank you for just being on and being so gracious today sharing what you have to say about presbyterianism i know it could be a bit daunting coming onto a an evangelical baptist channel and you know that there there's going to be some all disagreement all your friends are baptist so Not you're all of them the ones at my church are presbyterian yeah oh, okay all so that, that's 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 good to be clear on so <laughs> greg once again thank you for coming on it's been a, a pleasure and uh for everyone watching please if you have any questions or comments please leave them in the comments i'm sure greg and i can be chit-chatting i'll follow up with greg and get some resources and i'll let them know if there are any questions you have in the comments or i get them on facebook discord or reddit wherever uh, we want to keep the conversation going, keep learning and uh, being able to uh, discuss our differences and just share and uh, appreciate our, our common faith. I think that's so wonderful. So again, Greg, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you. I yeah, my, my pleasure. So everyone, thank you for watching here on Christians Colloquy. I hope you'll join me next time as we have another denominational tradition interview lined up for this summer. But that's it for now. Take care. <laughs>